0: On today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, we'll be looking once again at the 101 Coaching Mistakes to Avoid by the great Thomas Leonard. Today we'll be looking at numbers 51 through 60. Here we go. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hello, and welcome back to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast um, review of the 101 coaching mistakes to avoid. These, as a reminder, if you haven't been tuning into the previous episodes of this review of the 101 uh, coaching mistakes to avoid is these are put together by Thomas Leonard, the great late Thomas Leonard, um, who in my mind, at least is kind of the father of coaching. It's a pretty amazing thing. He did these uh, these 101 things, 101 coaching mistakes to avoid. They are all of them really good. Some of them a little repetitive from time to time, but incredible that most of them are not. Most of them are really fresh, as you'll see, if you haven't um, already noticed that. Um, even when you get to like 98, 99, and, you know, it's like he's still got more things to say, more things to come up with. Pretty darn impressive. So with no further ado, let's continue. Now, coaching mistake number 51 is not necessarily some way of being with your clients, but a way of being a coach. Coaching mistake number 51 is poor scheduling of client calls. Now, bear in mind, when Thomas Leonard was doing coaching, when I learned it from him all those years ago, it was all done on the telephone. Um, much of it still is. Many of my clients I still I'm on the phone. I'm not on on Zoom calls. I'm not meeting them in person. I, I talk on the phone. A couple of them I've never met. More than a couple I've never met. Um, I've never even seen their face. It's always been on the phone. But when he says poor scheduling of client calls, he's referring to what coaching was for him, which was making a phone call, t- taking a phone call, engaging in a conversation about what life is Offering and what the challenges are, and scheduling, and um, you know, strategizing for the future. So, proper. So this is what he writes. Proper scheduling of client calls is important to your well-being and to the effectiveness of your coaching. Examples of poor scheduling: is scheduling an evening call with a client for their convenience, but a bad time for you. Number two is having time gaps between coaching calls. Now. I I schedule in gaps between coaching calls, but not too much. Like 15 minutes be- between calls is plenty, you know, take care of the odd loose end here or there, or, you know, bathroom break, whatever it takes, you know, but I, I like a little of a bit of a break. But, um, you know, I know a lot of coaches that just go right from one to another up to you, but not too much. Coaching at a time of the day when you're not at your best is is an example of poor scheduling, and also scheduling too many calls without a break. So too many calls without a break, as Thomas put it. So yeah, these are examples of poor scheduling of clients. Now, for me, I try to make it so that um, I feel like I am at my best. I'm not at my best, you know, after five coach calls. (laughs) I'm I'm exhausted after five coach calls. I get invested in a coach call. So I I make sure that I do, you know, four in in a row at the most. And then, you know, fifth one later, I usually have five max per day. That's me. That's me. But you can do it any way you want. But notice what it is for you and stick to that. It's okay to have boundaries. It's okay to have rules, right, that are going to ensure that you're at your best and capable of doing this and making it an enjoyable thing for yourself. A number of years ago, I got so burned out on on coaching that I quit for a while. I just wasn't, you know, respecting my needs as a human being, being this coach. I, I, I get invested in the calls. It takes a lot of energy. I, I, I turn off any other distraction. I'm just like, focused on this person at that time. That requires energy and focus. And I so I just stopped. I just quit. Couldn't handle it. And it took me a little while to get back into it and then realize that, you know, I can do this if certain rules are met, if certain boundaries are respected. Yeah. And so it's been great ever since then. So be careful of poor scheduling of client calls. Find out what works for you and keep to that. Now. One of the things also is important that comes up later. I mentioned some of these calls, uh, some of these mistakes kind of run together. We just did number 51. In a few moments, we're going to get to uh, 55, but just a little preview. One of the things he says in, in coaching mistake number 55 is letting coaching sessions run late. So in addition to scheduling them in a way that works for you, also respect the time. Of the session, if it's a thirty-minute call, it's a thirty-minute call. If it's a sixty-minute call, it's a sixty-minute call. It's Not sixty-one, not sixty-two, not fifty-nine. You know, it's a sixty-minute call. Then you hang up. See you next week. You know, it's you need to do that. There's, um, I'll talk more about that later on, but it is a very important factor in this, you know, personal change work that we're doing with our clients now. It, coaching is not a therapy, so you are not a therapist when you're doing coaches, All, although, yes, more and more today, many people are doing what we used to just say was therapy, and now they're calling it coaching. So if that is you, then then this, this is maybe slightly different for you. But for the most part, in a therapy situation, one of the reasons they have that 55-minute hour, you know, the therapeutic hour kind of thing is... Obviously for scheduling purposes, but it's also going to be important for the client because it creates a vessel within change can take place. Carl Jung, I guess I'm actually talking about number 55 here. Oh, well, well, I'll just skip over it. I'll come back to this. Remember this Carl Jung thing. I'll come back to that, but let's, let's go back. I'm sorry. This coaching mistake number 52, slipping into a past. Professional role. So most coaches have come from other professions. You know, there are other professions, other careers. They were this, they were that, they were a consultant, they were a therapist, they were whatever. So it's natural to slip back into what you used to do. But remember you are now a coach and coaching is a distinct profession with a unique set of skills, strategies and methods. So when you do slip back, recognize it, release it and come back to being a coach. Tom, Thomas Leonard writes, within two to three years, you'll stop drifting back. I don't know if that's entirely true, but uh, <laughs> for me, what I do personally, this is just me personally, I, I do a lot of coaching. I do a lot of training of NLP and hypnosis and havening techniques. So, you know, there are times, not often, but there are times when I will slip into those things. What I'll I'll say, hey, listen, let's do this NLP process, or hey, listen, let's do some NLP, um, some hypnosis right now, and, and we'll do a t- ten minute thing. Or I'll send them a tape or a recording of something that we've done, you know, so they can work on that. But it's it's rare, and clearly, I know when I'm slipping back into those those past professional roles because I do hold coaching to be a separate thing, and that's me. Like I said, maybe you are doing hypnosis all the time. Maybe your coaching practice is hypnosis. Maybe your coaching practice is therapy. I don't know what you are doing, but I will tell you this, that um, coaching is a profession unto itself. So when you recognize that you are slipping back into your time management, uh, you know, office manager sort of role, yeah, recognize that and then come back into your coaching thing. It's this cooperative Thing that you're doing with your client. Coaching is a game that you're playing, a game of life. It's a cooperative creation that you're doing with this other person. Coaching mistake number 53, focusing simply on tactics and actions. Thomas writes, getting the client into action is useful, and tactical advice is immediately practical, but don't limit your coaching to short-term solutions. Take the time to design or weave in, number one, strategies, resource allocation systems, number two, positioning, education, prioritization, prioritization, number three, simplification, internal shifts, number four, new, better goals, skills training. You can work on background stuff strategies and foreground stuff tactics concurrently. Now, to me, when I listen to this, when I read this um, mistake, number 53, I'm also recognizing that Thomas kind of came from a, a background. His background was from the est world. He was um, when I talked to Dave, uh, the co- co- coach Dave about, um, about Thomas's background, I, I learned something. I knew that he came from the S background, but I, I thought he was a student. Of Werner Erhard. So It turned out that he was uh Werner Earhart's accountant, if I remember what, what Coach, Coach Dave was mentioning. So, but nevertheless, a lot of the sort of jargon, if you will, from the uh, forum, what became the forum, the EST training, has a lot, lot to do with um Thomas's way of thinking about things. So um this distinction between strategies and tactics, as an example. Um, background stuff, strategies, foreground stuff, tactics. You know, what exactly does he mean by background, and foreground? So I can only bring my own interpretations to specifically what he means by this coaching mistake number 53. And when I do that, um, what this means to me, this focusing simply on tactics and actions, it's, it's useful to have those strategies. To me, it's, it's kind of similar to, uh, the metaphor of of, of of having a car and needing to get that car um, in motion and taking that car to your destination, you know, how do you get to where you want to go in life, and that car is a vehicle to get there, right. So some ways, uh, strategies and tactics might be, um, you know, what route are you going to drive this car. Uh, when are you going to leave? What time are you going to go? Are you going to try to avoid traffic? You know, sorts of strategies and tactics like that. But also, strategies could also be think, be thought of as 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 the mechanics of the of the vehicle. Like, how do you make this thing actually run? You could also think of it as uh, motivation. What powers this thing? What what gives it gas? Lots of different ways you can look at. How do you you know, finally get from point A to point Z. How do you make this trip? How do you make this journey? How do you accomplish and achieve what you want in life? There's lots of different ways of doing that. We talked before about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Clearly they are motivated enough to have called you and hired you to be their coach, to help them get to where they want to go. So there's plenty of internal, um, Motivation that got them to pick up the phone and call you, make that appointment and hire you as their coach. But sometimes there may be some other things lacking that requires you to help them sort out how to get this vehicle in motion. What's stopping it? Why isn't it going? Is it a bad spark plug? Is it, you know, you're out of gas? You know, let's just check certain basics. You know, how's the battery? Let's figure this out. So what are the strategies? What are the tactics? tactics to help this go? All of that is very useful, but if you don't have the motivation, if you don't have the gas in the tank, it's not going to go. So, focusing simply on what route you're going to take is not enough. What pathway you're going to go? It, it's not enough. It's a whole thing. The person that you're talking to is a is a whole being, and there's lots of of, of, of different um, parts that need to be addressed and. Uh, and fine-tuned and get together as, as part of the overall unit to make this happen. So don't just focus on tactics and actions, but see the whole person and find out how you can do that for them, with them. Coaching mistake number 54, being passive with your clients. Now, before we talked about being directive or non-directive, here being passive with your client, coaching is a lot more than reflective listening. Coaching is interactive, collaborative, and active. It's an active creating, sharing of ideas and strategies. Some coaches prefer a less directive approach. Others prefer a more directive approach. Others coach along the full spectrum, which is what I really endeavor to do and which Thomas recommends. Clients are paying for your opinions, reactions, thoughts, ideas, suggestions, questions, thinking, strategies. They're paying for all of that. They're paying for your... Being, your response, share those, all of these. It's coaching. You're playing this game. You are being yourself. You are being you. They've hired you. It's not just a system of coaching. They want you. So it's more than just reflective listening. Oh, yeah, that's very interesting. Tell me more about that. It's more than reflective listening. Well, what I heard you say is this and that, you know, reflective listening. So um, what you're really saying is, it's 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 interactive, collaborative, and an active, creative sharing of ideas and strategies. So don't be too passive with your clients. Yes, you must tailor your coaching to the individual. Sometimes you're more passive. Sometimes you're more non-directive than with others. Just be careful. Just be mindful that you don't want to be too much of any one of these things. And don't be afraid to let your light shine as well, as long as you're not, you know, getting in the way, not being too directive. It's that wonderful balancing act. Now, here we go. Coaching mistake number 55. Letting coaches, coaching sessions run late. So I'm going to read what Thomas said, and then I'm going to back, get back to my Carl Jung story. He says, even if you've got the time. It's bad form because the client comes to expect more time from you the next time and feels shortchanged if you hold them to the 30 or 60 minute session. It's sometimes best to have another client calling in at the end of the session. So you and the client have no option except to leave. I got another call, gotta go. See you next week. Right? Most coaches, most most coaching really occurs in the last seven minutes of the session anyway. Thomas writes that. That's a really interesting statement, isn't it? Most coaching really occurs in the last seven minutes of the session session. I wonder if that's true for both the 30-minute and the 60-minute session, in Thomas's view. And he says, anyway, he says, remember, it's coaching, not best friends talking. Now, I don't know if any of my coaching clients are are listening to this, so I'll be very careful. But I do have. One uh, coach I've been with uh, has been with me for a number of years who is, we're very good friends and and we do, you know, chat about stuff like football and whatever. That's fine. That's fine. We don't overdo it. And we always do get down to business somewhere along the line. It's usually before the last seven minutes of the call, but you know, we, we do get in, into things much more fully. And it's really important, I think, to keep, the 30-minute calls to 30 minutes, the 60-minute calls to 60 minutes, or the 45-minute calls to 45 minutes, whatever it might be. And that's for this reason that I was telling you, uh, beginning to tell you about before, having to do with Carl Jung of Jungian psychology. Carl Jung used the metaphor of alchemy in his therapy. He um, Alchemy, of course, you know, is like uh, how you turn or tried to turn lead into gold. Back in those days, um, it's a neat metaphor, isn't it, for, for what a therapy session might ultimately um, achieve is, you know, turning the client's lead in life into a golden one or something like that. But in the science, if you will, of alchemy, that the one, is, one of the things they had was a vessel in which they... Um, made this change take place. And they would put the lead and all the other ingredients into this vessel. And then they would heat it. And so they would put a top on the vessel. So like a pressure cooker kind of thing. And then they would heat it in this vessel. So that vessel was called a timanos. Now, Carl Jung used that as a metaphor for the therapy session, the 45 or the 55 or whatever minute hour. that. Therapeutic sessions often are the therapeutic hour. And he said the reason for that is when you keep it to that set time, it creates pressure for change. The part of the process is this pressure for change that takes place from the fact that you have, you know, a set amount of time, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever your coaching sessions are. Um, it's a set Time you don't go past there. So that why does it, why does coaching happen in the last seven minutes of the session, according to Thomas Leonard? I think it's because it's the last seven minutes. And we go like, uh oh, we got to get something done here. So there's that pressure to get it done. So whether it's this 30-minute session or the 60-minute sessions, like when that pressure starts building because it's almost over, you really get things done. So you want to keep it. I used to be very guilty of this one, by the way, by the way. <laughs> by the way, by the way, by the way. I used to go over. I used to think it was like a, a nice thing that, you know, oh that the 60-minute session. Oh, I'll just keep talking. We'd sometimes do 90-minute sessions. When I first started out, I'd not in coaching so much of the hypnosis. We'd do like three-hour sessions. That's just not a good idea for a whole variety of reasons. Whole variety of reasons. But the main one is it's more effective for everyone concerned to keep it to the therapeutic hour. So mindful of your sessions mistake number 25 uh 55 sorry don't let your coaching sessions run late. Remember it's coaching not best friends talking. Coaching mistake number 56 taking sides. Thomas writes this. He says sometimes Clients try to get you to agree with them that X is bad, X being a person, a company, a situation, a product, a political figure, let's say. Um, say something like, I understand your frustration, but I don't take sides." This keeps you clean and helps keep the coaching relationship clean and professional. It also prevents you from getting fired when the coaches changes their mind about X. <laughs> You're an X supporter, huh? I can't have that anymore. So, yeah, don't take sides. It's a a wise thing. It's a wise thing. There is a certain amount of professional detachment one ought to have, certainly in therapy, but also in coaching. And it's really useful to stay professional, that there are certain boundaries that you you stick to. And uh, not taking sides is a way of, of doing that and say, yeah, I just don't take sides. Or I, you know, I don't talk about that here. It's, it's a really useful idea. Up to you to decide if you want to do that or not. But uh, this is coaching mistake number 56 by Thomas Leonard. Coaching mistake number 57, venting at the client. Thomas writes, if you find yourself venting your frustrations about the client to the client, the situation occurred because you have been improperly holding back from previous weeks or months stuff builds up. It's your responsibility to communicate everything that comes up as it comes up. One of the big things I've learned in my life um, so far (laughs) is to do things and say things in the moment. You know, if I I think about something, I say, okay, let's go do it. Let's get it done. The old saying, if you don't put off to tomorrow, what you're willing to not get done at all, um, or something like that, there's (laughs) <laughs> I've forgotten the old saying, but yeah, it's like that. You can google it, you know what I'm talking about, but just do it now, and that includes saying things that you need to say to your client. It goes back to being directive, non directive, you know being honest not directive it's it's also you know not saying things, not taking sides, but if you find yourself venting your frustrations about the client to the client. It's because you didn't say anything earlier. You let things build up. Don't let things build up. It's an open, honest conversation. There may be limits. You don't take sides about certain things. There's certain boundaries. Yes, all that is true. But within the context of the coaching, you say things as they come up. You're clear. You're direct. You're honest. Compassionately and lovingly, but you're still direct and honest. That's coaching mistake number 57. Coaching mistake number 58 is getting emotionally invested in your client. Emotionally invested in your client. Thomas writes, it's one thing to care and, and care about your client. It's quite another to get too close and have their goal problem become your goal problem, goal slash problem. You can maintain professional distance, yet be very, very caring, loving, and supportive. Coaches get emotionally invested because the client reminds them of them at that stage of their life or a similar situation, and you tend to want to protect the client from feeling the pain or making the same mistakes or messing up the opportunity. It's good that you feel that way. And don't get emotionally invested in your client. It's important that you don't. For you, obviously, I hope that's obvious, but also for the client. It's important that they Figure this stuff out. Let me tell you a story. It's a not a true story, I don't think. Pretty sure. It's a metaphor. It's a, uh, it's a uh, metaphorical made-up story. Anyway, it goes like this. There was a man. Maybe it was a woman. I don't remember that part, but it was a person. I said man because I'm a man, but it probably was a woman. I don't know. person walking through the woods, and they saw a bird in a nest, a little little bird, baby bird, young young bird. But somebody had like tied all these threads, like a hundred different threads over the nest, and the bird couldn't get out of the nest. And It was struggling, struggling to get out of the nest. Stop me if I told you this one before. And um, so this person, man or woman, uh, decided, oh, I'm going to help. And 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 shimmied up the tree and got her, uh, his or her sisters sis, scissors, their <laughs> sisters scissors, <laughs> out of their pocket and and snipped all those those strings, so to set the bird free. Then the bird got up on the side of the nest and tried to fly and good and died because it fell down to the ground and got eaten by a cat, or, or something like that. I don't know. Maybe it had a happy ending. Maybe it, it limped away. and But but the point is, those strings were there for the bird to get stronger. That each time it would struggle and snap one of the strings, snap one of the threads, it got a little stronger. And by the time it got through all 100 threads, it was strong enough to fly. People need to learn by living life. People need to learn the lessons that they need to learn. We don't want to get so emotionally invested with the client that they're just like I was when I was their age. Yeah, fine. Feel that way. Don't say anything like that. Don't get too emotionally invested. Let them do what they need to do. You're helping them strategize. You're helping them reframe things. You're helping them ask the best questions. You're helping them in a whole lot of ways. Yes. And don't get too close and have their goal slash problem become your goal slash problem. You can maintain professional distance and still be very caring and loving and supportive. Coaching mistake number 59 coaching beyond your competence. Yeah, interesting one, isn't it? Coaching beyond your competence. I rarely think that I am coaching beyond my competence, but I will tell you that there are plenty of times when. Um, I am coaching someone who is in a profession that I know really, frankly, nothing about. Uh, I won't, again, mention any names because there might be people listening who know people that I work with. Maybe it's even them. But I do have people in professions that I know nothing about. But that's not my job. I'm not a consultant. Let's use a metaphor. I'm not. If I was a, a, a mechanic, if I was coaching somebody who is a mechanic at NASCAR, This is purely made up, but let's pretend I'm coaching somebody who is a mechanic at NASCAR, whose job it is to keep the cars going um, as well as they can, as quickly as they can, as long as they can. I know nothing about car mechanics. My wife can vouch for this. Uh, I can change the oil. I know I can't. I can check the oil. (laughs) I I can do that. That's pretty good. But I don't know anything about car mechanics. So if if I'm coaching this guy, I can coach the guy. I can coach the guy really well. But I can't consult. I can't help him, you know, figure out how to get the catalytic convert. I'm just making this up. Um, You know, (laughs) I can't do that. So readily, this is now what Thomas wrote. He says, readily admit, admit what you don't know or don't know enough of to properly serve your client. Note, your clients do not expect you to know everything or to be competent in every area. One of the things you do, I do, certainly, but one one does as a coach, is you help them to find the answers. You know, goodness gracious, we live in the age where you go, oh, Siri, and probably Siri will start answering me now, You know what's what's the answer to this? How do you how do you do something with a catalytic converter? You know you could probably find the answer by googling it or binging it or whatever other search engine you might do. God, I remember back in the day when I was a boy, you had to walk fifteen miles to the library, and then didn't have to walk fifteen miles. But you know, searching for answers was a lot harder back then. You you did have to find the right person to ask or find the right. periodical or book in the library or whatever. When I was a kid, my dad, I was a bad speller. I was not a very good speller. My dad said, well, we'll look it up. It's like, dad, how do you spell ox He said, well, look it up. It's like, how can I look it up if I don't know how to spell it? It made no sense. So it was much harder to look things up back then. Much easier now. So help them find the answer. Help them find a website. Help them find a person. Who is an expert in what they need to know? Your job is a coach. Nobody else can do that as well as you. But there might be people who can do car mechanics better than you. I'll vouch for the fact that there are people that can do it better than me. You know, here's another little story for you. Um, stop me if I've told you this one before, too. This is a this is a true story as opposed to the uh, very interesting but non-literally uh, true story about the bird. But when I was uh, first getting my, one of my first websites ever, as, uh, back in the early thousands, um, I was living up in Vermont, and I had had I had friends who were not only good NLPers back then, but you know because NLP is kind of like uh, treating your brain like a computer. These guys were actually good at computers. I wasn't. I wasn't a programmer. I was. I'd never built a computer. I'd never done that. But they had. And so I thought, well, gosh, you know, um, they're applying their computer skills to building a website. I could, I could do that. I could learn that. So I found this place to, to learn stuff like that. I found a computer training school up there in Vermont. And I took some courses in building websites, learning HTML. I don't know if you remember that, but HTML. Um, and I did, I did my own website. It was not good. Not very good, but it was, it was workable. Um, it, it was sufficient, let's just say, sufficient, And um, but that I needed to have an online store. I needed people to be able to buy my hypnosis recordings and things like that, and I, I couldn't get that part done. I couldn't get that right, so finally, after a long period of trying, I um, went to my instructor and said, listen, I know you do consulting. Could I hire you to help me? outside of class to get this thing up and running. And he said, well, yes, I can do that. It's $200 an hour. But I don't have any time on my schedule for at least two weeks. So I said, well, okay, it's a lot of money for me, but I'm happy to spend it because I need this to get done. So let's schedule this time. So we scheduled something two weeks later. And meanwhile, I said, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And I worked, 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 worked to figure it out, didn't figure it out. And then finally, uh, the uh, time for the appointment came, and I drove to his place there in Vermont. And um, and he took a look at it and fixed it. And it probably about 15 minutes of our, of our $200 hour. But he was, you know, getting paid for the whole hour. So I said, well, let's see if we can figure some more out. What else can we make? And he just, he improved that website just, oh, my God, so much better than I couldn't even imagine. So that's when I realized I was not spending my time wisely. I was not spending my time wisely. I, I just, well, from that point forward, said, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to spend my time trying to become a computer guy because I'm a coach. This is what I'm good at. So you find somebody who does those things. Don't coach beyond your competence. Coaching mistake number 59. Help others to find a consultant that they need, a guy to build their computer or whatever, you know, find somebody to do that. That's part of your job is to help find the resources, get them in touch with the resources either inside themselves or outside themselves, you know, to do the things that they need to get done. And finally, coaching mistake number 60, breaking a confidence. Thomas writes... Coaches have similar ethical standards around confidentiality as do other professionals. The rule is to not tell anyone your client's name or any hint what you've discussed or what you're working on together. He writes, if you break a confidence, you can be sued. Include a discussion about confidentiality in your first session with a client or in your client forms. I have done that. I've I've written up a um, kind of introduction. Hi, my name's Doug. Um, coaching contract that I regularly send to my clients when we first decide to do this together. They need to sign it. They need to read it and sign it and send it back to me. It can be virtual, but it still needs to be at least virtually signed. I need to know that they read it. And part of what that says is that everything discussed in this session is between you and me that's it it's confidential i will not divulge anything about it so i do think this is an essential practice and an essential coaching skill to you know keep your confidence confidentiality at all times in all situations i don't actually know i don't actually know if thomas Leonard was right back there in 1999 or whenever it was that he wrote these things. Um, I don't know if you can be sued for breaking in confidence, but just don't do it. That doesn't need to be the <laughs> deciding factor. Just keep it confidential. It's better for everybody for a lot of the same reasons as other things we've discussed today. The time thing, you know, we want to keep it to the 60 minutes or the 30 minutes, you know, You want to keep the confidence. It's best for you. It's best for coaching. It's best for everything if you do that. It's going to help you be a better coach and have your coaching outcomes be much better as a result. So this has been Coaching Mistakes number 51 through 60 of the 101 Coaching Mistakes to Avoid by Thomas Leonard. So thank you for tuning in. I look forward to seeing you again right here next time. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks.